On this episode, we're sitting down with Dave Neff, the CEO of a local mentoring organization who aspires to create lifelong leaders. Let's get to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell. Our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions by talking with industry thought leaders to gain practical tips for your organizational success. And if this is your first time tuning in, we just want to say welcome to the show and welcome to the Kelly family. Uh, If you have any questions along the way, or you're just looking for some leadership advice, or maybe even you know someone that would make a great guest for the ROI podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email to ROIPod, that's R-O-I-P-O-D, at IUPUI.edu. All right, well, today we are sitting down with the president and CEO of Edge Mentoring, Dave Neff, an Indianapolis-based mentoring group focused on connecting young professionals with seasoned leaders who teach personal, professional, and spiritual growth. You know, Matt, leadership is more than a title. It's a lifestyle. Your best leaders are authentic. And if they're authentic, you can't tell the difference when they're at work and when they're not at work. They're living the same life. They're walking the same talk. It just so happens that they redirect their spirit into helping develop others on their team and helping them develop their team members. They pay it forward in terms of of letting people migrate through challenges and help them coach them through it. That's how they learn. That's how they feel empowered. And that's how you move the organization forward and build a culture. But it all begins with authenticity and live in 24-7 what your leadership philosophy is and demonstrating it for your own life. And I know we sat down, you and I went to talk with Dave, and I'd love to get your thoughts on what you thought of Edge and what you thought of Dave's style when it comes to training up this new generation uh, to be the next step leaders. Matt, what struck me about Dave's style is it was it's very holistic. He doesn't compartmentalize work and home life, uh, physical health, spiritual health, mental health. To him... Developing team members, whether it's in a nonprofit, whether it's in your family, you know, family's a team, or more importantly, in the workplace, it's a holistic approach. And as a leader, you have to take that holistic approach for yourself individually, and you have to project that forward in the way that you coach folks through their challenges. As mentors, we need to appreciate the fact that those in the new generation face a new environment. And we got to give them credit for what they are up against. And we need to work that into our message about being your whole self. There's some really interesting just societal, cultural, I think, factors at play here. Um, the data that I referenced from our strategic plan would suggest three things. One, uh, millennials are lonelier than senior citizens. And that's the first generation that's truly like been more lonely, isolated. And you're like, wow, like it's the most digitally connected generation um, but what we're, what we're lacking, many of us, if we're honest, is deep, authentic, real relationships, somebody who actually knows what's going on in your life versus follows you on Instagram, right? And so that is an is a indicator of the all-time high anxiety, suicide, depression rates you know, amongst this generation. And so why is that? There's a disengagement from community. And it's being written about, more broadly, this loneliness epidemic. Right? Why are I mean David Brooks and others at the New York Times have written about this extensively, and and that's leading to 
political divisiveness, you know, kind of the, the 5% extremes that get the most kind of talk on, in, in the news media. But, you know, I think one of those big macro factors is this disengagement from community and people just aren't meeting together as frequently. It's all done behind a screen and, you know, everybody's got digital courage, but they say stuff they'd never say to your face. So there's one factor. I think another one would be disengagement um, spiritually. You know, we are a faith-based nonprofit. We don't proselytize heavy about it, but it's part of our core values and 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 informs kind of how we, we do what we do. And so of millennials who grew up in some sort of faith or church setting, by the time they finish college, only 11% are still engaged. So they're leaving, you know, the churches in, in droves, either from apathy or got burnout or, or whatever. And yeah, some boomerang back when they start to have kids and the families, but there's a spiritual disengagement. So disengagement for community, spiritual disengagement. And then finally, there's professional disengagement. So while many millennials have jobs today, over two thirds are either actively or passively looking for their next job. So yeah, they haven't found their dream job at 24, shocker, right? But they're craving professional guidance. And that's why we feel like this third space that we've tried to curate through Edge for these whole life intergenerational mentor relationships is so key. And that's where Edge found their niche, so to speak, creating an organization that partners experienced leaders to help a new generation gain very valuable wisdom. As Dave mentioned during our interview, previous generations would compartmentalize personal and professional life, keeping two separate areas to kind of have to navigate through throughout their day. But it's a line that's ever blurring with each new generation entering the workforce. And Dave's working to help that issue. This generation, while we've grown up and we see all the you know, entrepreneurs on Instagram who are crushing it or you know, just you got to hustle and make it. Like, yeah, there's this aspirational call that we want to really be good at what we do professionally. We all want to find our kind of our sweet spot and play to our strength. But let's also be honest. Like there's days probably for many of us where it's like we don't want to get out of bed. And there's shame in wanting to admit that if something's going on, but being okay of living in that tension to be like, we each have one life and there's going to be seasons where things are great and seasons where things aren't great, but how do you keep kind of moving forward and not allow it to kind of just create this bitterness or withdrawal or, you know, and I think by employers acknowledging that and creating, um, you know, this edge at work product we're testing, we've got a few employers Springbuck, who's a tech company downtown, the Indiana State Fair, they're creating space on the job hour a week for a mentor and a set of mentees who all work for the same company, so different than our traditional model, to meet and kind of talk through this whole life. And so there's some tools that we've given them, some facilitation guides and some kind of personality assessments we're using the Enneagram as a way to foster and open up that, that dialogue. Sometimes an organization or a leadership team may not recognize there's an issue with an open work culture. Sometimes a young employee starting her or his career must be the one to address the issue. So how does a young professional starting out with her or his career engage in that conversation with their boss? Yeah, that's tough because if that's the culture, right, or maybe it's a, a fear-based culture from leadership and it's like, man, they're um, walking on eggshells. I, you know, as a 23, 25-year-old starting out in your career, um, yeah, you're, you're not going to probably walk in and be like, you know, you're doing it all wrong, right? So I think in a sense, it's like, first off, just be really good at your job. And I think when you deliver results in the short term, I, I mean, I've hired people and met people that are two weeks into their job and apparently they've got it all figured out what's wrong with this organization, right? It's like, hey, first 90 days, you really shouldn't be 
speaking up much. Just like do your job, show that you can get results. And that starts to earn the credibility and the trust to be able to speak into strategy or speak into, hey, culture. Like I've noticed we do this. Like, can you help me understand why? Is this just, you know, an anomaly or does other people notice this? So I think uh, early on in your career, um, that's the best advice I could give is just do your job, demonstrate that you can do what's required. And then you start to earn that right and that privilege to be able to speak up a little bit more. Phil, I think it's really important for us to highlight the fact that leadership is not simply a title given. You don't have to wait to get that quote unquote manager or director in your title in order to take steps forward and leading people or even leading yourself. Leadership is a lifestyle. And as young and aspiring leaders look for these new opportunities, simply starting a conversation with your boss is a great first step in kind of flexing some of those leadership muscles that you're going to want to uh, strengthen as you go along. And we also need to find mentors because mentorship is going to help us flex the right muscles and keep us kind of in in between the lines uh, so we know where we're, we're going. And they offer a bunch of wisdom. And it's great because they're ahead of us in life. So they've experienced something that we can glean from. And in fact, that wisdom brings more opportunities for us to grow and to shape in ourselves as leaders. But when it comes to finding a mentor, what character traits should we put in high value when seeking that sort of relationship? Mentors are available and accessible. Um, I don't think a mentoring relationship is 50-50. I think it's 80-20. The work should be on the mentee's shoulder. Mentor's job really is to be available and accessible. If the mentor's having to bird dog and chase the mentee down and they're not returning text or call, that's a waste of everyone's time. So mentors should be available and accessible. After that, I think really good mentors share stories. They share stories from their own life of here's a time it worked well, here's a time it didn't work well, here's what I learned. Versus a mentee comes in with a problem and they just solve it for them. You know, sometimes mentees, they just need to be unstuck in their own thinking. And so by processing it out loud in a safe place, uh, a mentor can help. And um, mentors, I, I start to get a little nervous when mentors feel like they've they're showing up and they've got so much to offer. You know what I mean? That's dangerous sort of uh, territory. Really, I mean, they've just got more reps in life. You know, they've they've seen more, they live through more. And so how do we kind of, you know, we live in a very age-segregated society today. hundred years ago, it was very age-integrated. People grew up together, families on farms, very multi-generational. Today, you know, outside of where you work, you're probably running with people that are about your same age, same season of life. So those would be just a couple things. The takeaway here is that selflessness is the key to a successful mentor-mentee relationship. The mentee should, first of all, realize that she or he has this gift of time from somebody and not to take that for granted. And the way to say thank you for that is to do most of the work in setting the meeting up and accommodating the mentor's time in responding with any homework or exercises that the mentor wants the mentee to do and to do it with gusto on time and to, you know, over deliver because that's the best way to say thank you to the mentor. And that comes from a place of selflessness as a mentee and of gratitude. On the flip side, the mentor should enter the relationship with humility in that, she or he simply has stories to tell 
And it's not her, his job to solve the mentee's problems. It's simply to give that mentee two things. Give the mentee knowledge that the mentee may not have and give the mentee encouragement. Other than that, it's up to the mentee to, to continue on her or his journey of life. If that's the way to be a mentor, then it's important to ask the question, what are some measurements of success of the relationship? Well, Edge Mentoring has the answer. We poll for things like Net Promoter Score and, and that right now, but I think over time as we think about this third space, you know, how are they engaging in their community? You know, how many hours have they served with a nonprofit or volunteer hours? That could be one measurable right on the community side. You know, are they feeling more engaged or more connected, right, in, in a relationship with God or just kind of their their spiritual growth? That would be one in our in our model. What's their engagement at their place of work? Hopefully that if we you know screened them on the way in and the year end, that would be you know, considerably higher. Are they feeling more kind of connected and engaged to what they're doing professionally? And then, yeah, I think relationally, whether, you know, some of our mentees are single, some are engaged, married. But um, this is this is also about, you know, how do you kind of manage that, I won't even say work-life balance, but work-life flow. You know, we're all kind of in and out of our work and our personal lives, and we've got the freedom to do that with kind of the nature of remote work these days. But, you know, are you and your spouse kind of is your relationship thriving or is it kind of going the other way? So here's something as we kind of switch gears a little bit, you know, for a lot of leaders and managers, how many times do we find that some of our employees in our own workplace are just simply grouchy, stress easily, you know, or just seem totally disengaged from their job? It's so easy for us managers to see that as either a sign of just resistance to change or resistance to leadership or simply them being lazy. However, on a human level, that employee may just have the weight of the world on their shoulders and they're bringing it into the workplace with them. That individual may have a sick child, they may have a dying parent, they may be facing divorce or struggling financially just to make ends meet. And regardless of the circumstance, it's on us, those responsible for our team, to make sure that we embrace the humility that you were mentioning earlier that makes our organization march forward. This is a great opportunity to either invest personally into this individual or help them find a mentor that can help them become the best versions of themselves. And if we are looking to become a mentor figure in our office, here's an exercise you can try just to get that process started. The first exercise every edge group goes through when they launch is something called the lifeline exercise where the mentor goes first and then each mentee shares his or her lifeline. And this is really, it's not just facts, like I went to this high school and this college, but what are those shaping forces that have kind of made you who you are today? So it could be parents split up when I was 12, we moved cities, whatever. Um, and so out of that lifeline, that's a great way to kind of uh, level set amongst the group and start to build vulnerability and trust. And I think from there, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily have it. Hey, here, here's how you build your personal core value set. But I think out of that, there starts to be some really rich dialogue around Hey, here's what here's what's important to me. Here's what matters to me. Here's my deep kind of motivations or fears. You know, a lot of things can make us hesitant to be a mentor. We may feel bogged down by our own life. We may feel like we don't have enough experience. What can I share that's of value to anyone? Well, don't discount yourself. And it's important to know that these feelings are 100% normal as a potential mentor. So on the mentor side, the two biggest objections I always hear or I don't have time you know, to be a mentor right now, and I don't feel qualified. And so some of my, my job is demystifying mentoring, right? It's not that you have all the answers, as I said earlier. 
Um, it's not that, hey, you're, we're expecting you to show up and have been a CEO of a company, right? Not all of our mentors are CEOs, but they're people that just bring professional credibility. Um, and I think for mentors, I think you'd be shocked at, some people think it just is going to take so much time. Like the Edge model, yeah, we have some early on, it's built around two group calls a month. Now, that's not hard and fast. If it happens to be every three weeks, a couple months or whatever, that's fine. I think at the end of the day, the satisfaction that comes from seeing somebody grow and develop and go through things that you experienced maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago and, and hopefully have a few laughs along the way. I mean, there's just something intrinsically satisfying and fulfilling about that that's that's hard to explain. When you've done it, you, you understand it. Same for individuals who do not think they need a mentor. Sure, we can watch a how-to video on YouTube and think we're all of a sudden experts at a subject, but one cannot replace the value of human connection and wisdom in real time from someone who's been through that life experience. No matter how many videos we watch or how many self-help books that we read. On the mentee side, yeah, I mean, look, I know, I know uh, millennials, we, we think we've got a lot to offer the world oftentimes, but the danger in any of us, mentor mentee, thinking that we've arrived and that we've got it all figured out, I think is um, something we need to be very careful of because um, I'm continually learning um, just blind spots in my own life and, and where gaps, shortfalls, things I need to continue to work on and my own leadership development. So I think I don't know why you wouldn't seek out a resource like Edge in your 20s and, and early 30s for that matter. To to learn from somebody more senior, to be around like-minded peers, where a lot of mentoring happens there too, kind of in this horizontal, hey, this guy's only a year older than me, but I uh, got married a year before me or had a kid a year before me. And there's a lot of value in, in, in that versus somebody that's, oh, that was 20 years ago. I forget what that was like. Phil, I want to go back uh, to those how-to videos you're talking about because I am a millennial. I was born uh, kind of in the beginning stages of the millennial generation. And I can completely identify with, you know, you think you can be an expert instantly. Uh, my wife and I, we bought a house, uh, was it last July? And it needed a lot of work because I thought, well, you know what, there's some YouTube videos out there. I can, you know, watch those, read a couple articles. And all of a sudden I'm going to be Chip from Chip and Joanna on HGTV. And I'm going to make this most immaculate farmhouse. And let me tell you what, Videos do have some value, at least getting it started. But I remember very vividly, I watched a video on how to put on gutters because our house did not have gutters at the time. And after I got done, I felt so empowered. I was like, oh, I can do this. I know the materials I need. I got my checklist and I watched these guys do it enough where I'm going to do it perfectly just like they do it. And when I got to my house with the gutter material and started putting them up, I had so many issues that these videos didn't address because I forget that the people making these videos, this is probably the 10,000th set of gutters that they've added to a house. And it's so easy for them to go and just do it. This was my first time. And I had, you know, the caulk just everywhere. It was messy. I had screws that were not fitting in. I couldn't get the gutters level or, you know, the right pitch um, to get them to drain correctly. And I was getting really frustrated because I thought I was going to be an expert. And one of the big game changers for me was uh, along this journey, I've also had a mentor who's kind of been ha more hands-on. And I can tell a vast difference when 
I'm watching a video and trying to be the expert versus I call my buddy Jeff and I say, hey, I'm struggling with putting this door in. You know, can you help me? And not only does he come in and give me a second hand, but he gives me wisdom of, you know, for my specific instance, how this door is going to fit in or how these gutters are going to lay or how this floor needs to be cut this certain way to fit my specific need instead of taking some generic you know, how to help and, and fitting it. And I just want, you know, that to be an encouragement for people that it's okay. It's okay to realize that, you know, you're, you may not have the answers and that how to video, um, doesn't live up to what a mentorship relationship can be. And here's a way to think about this from a management perspective. You know, sure. We can teach ourselves. It's going to take a lot of time, right? 10,000 gutters. That's a lot of time. So, hey, you can teach yourself anything if you put your mind to it. But if you want life to be a little easier and to have time for other things, call on other people. Listen. They'll accelerate your ability to get where you want to get, and you'll be able to do do and accomplish so many other things in life. And so, you know, that's another way to look at mentoring. The more, you know, they, they talk about how a good leader surrounds herself with a great team to implement things. Well, she can also surround herself with great mentors to learn quickly and to accelerate through mistakes that she otherwise would have made, but other people made them and she knows to avoid them because she listened. And in closing, I just want Dave to kind of take us home with some advice. The one question we asked him was, what advice, if he had the whole millennial generation sitting in a room, what would be his advice to that generation? I was talking with a friend earlier this week, and and I alluded to this uh, earlier in the in the call. But um, we have one life, and and I know that um, we want it to be. We idealize what that life will look like. The reality is, life doesn't always play out how we think it's going to. And for many millennials, there is going to be a phone call that comes if it hasn't already that is going to shatter you. You know, parents dying or a friend, some freak accident, and so I think. If you don't have sort of people in your life, you know, to fall back on um, a, a support network, deep convictions, core values, character beyond, hey, I got a sweet job. Like life is going to get really tough really quickly. And so, knowing that in this one life that we all have to live, you've got to balance that tension of there's days I'm not going to want to get out of bed, and there's days when like I feel like I'm on top of the world, right? And how do you just kind of keep moving forward? And stay in relationship. I think don't don't withdraw. Don't kind of go up into a shell. And I don't care if you're extrovert or introvert. We all, I think we are hardwired for community. That's just kind of how we're how we're made. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell. Here on the show. Our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.